Hey friends, welcome to Wild Confidence Podcast, where we help one another find, keep, and share our confidence in Christ. I'm your host, Ainsley B. It's an honor to bring you some inspiring conversations with amazing guests. Before we hear today's conversation, I want to kindly ask if you'd leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who might like it. I'd also love to connect on Instagram, so find me at Ainsley B. Okay, I can't wait anymore. Let's get to know our guest. Okay, y'all know that I'm obsessed with the app Dwell, the Bible app that I've told you about before. It's the first thing that I look at, or listen to rather, every single morning whenever I sit down at my desk because it is the best way for me personally to get into the Word and start my day off right. So I wanted to tell you something that they are doing in July, and it's a meditation campaign, which is so awesome. So this summer, Dwell has invited Richard Foster, author of the modern day classic Celebration of Discipline, to guide us through the ancient practice of biblical meditation, learning to hear God through His Word and to obey what we hear. I personally cannot wait for this to happen. It kicks off Monday, July 12th. Visit dwellapp.io slash meditate for all the details, including a guide to meditation, weekly audio meditations led by Richard Foster, and a daily passage for meditation within the Dwell app. Dwell truly helps you not simply read or hear the Bible, but create a space to dwell with God. So. Head to dwell.io slash meditate or ainsleybritton.com forward slash links to get started. Crystal Chang is the executive director of student strategy at Orange. Before joining the team in Atlanta, she spent 10 years as a high school Spanish teacher and student ministry leader doing everything from small groups to speaking to curriculum design. Crystal and her husband, Tom, live in Atlanta, Georgia with their embarrassingly ill-tempered chihuahua. Javier. I know that y'all are just going to be so blessed by Crystal. She is someone who I go to all the time for advice. She speaks so much joy and life and just happiness and guidance over my life. And I just can't wait for y'all to hear more from her. She's such, such a treat. Let's hop into our conversation with Crystal. Crystal, welcome to the Wild Confidence Podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm so excited to hang out with you. Um, I feel a little bit fraudulent being on a podcast called Confidence and being nervous about it. I'm like, am I allowed to be nervous? Ah, um, 1,000%. Okay, good. Yes. You know, one thing, whenever I was thinking about you and having you on, which was like, um, when I was first launching the podcast, like my very first list of like, who do I really want on here? Your name was obviously on there because of how, how much I just already learned from you. So this, I mean, this podcast is really like bringing on people that I genuinely learn from. And I genuinely just, I don't know, like just am so thankful for, and your name was very much on that list because you have taught me so much about leadership and being a woman in ministry, even if you don't even know it. That's so encouraging. That is so encouraging. Thanks for saying that. I don't feel like any of that was intentional or true. And so I'm like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'll just never forget, like when we met up to get sushi on a revolving belt, 
<laughs> it's like that was so fun. <laughs> the sushi <laughs> just goes around and you like it just shoots out to you. Honestly, incredible experience, dining experience for sure. But I remember leaving that and being like, oh, oh, I can conquer the world now. Like, oh, oh, I just needed someone to give me a permission slip. Okay, I can conquer the world now. Okay, we got this. Well, so, it helps that you're super, super talented and you're super, super <laughs> smart. Because I remember that conversation and being like, man, she is so strong. Like, she is such a strong leader. She's such a strong intellectual. She's such a strong personality. So it was it was mutual admiration at the sushi factory <laughs> situation, which, let's be honest, of all the things I missed during quarantine, conveyor belt sushi is really high on the list. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Um, I think we need to make a, a return to that place. We do. When you come back Very to Atlanta, soon. can we have like a sushi date tradition? Can that just be yes, our thing? That is our thing. I am so here for that. I love that so much. So when I'm thinking about confidence in leadership and in being a woman in ministry, and I know like, honestly, if I'm very honest, the women in ministry kind of conversation almost feels a little tired because I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's time for us to stop feeling like we're, I don't know, silenced and it's time for us to step up and just do something about it and whatever. But, but I mean, the truth is, is that we still can not always be taken seriously and we still can be looked at, looked at like little girls almost. And so whenever I was going into this and really stepping into ministry, specifically in the high school world, high school ministry is obviously I'm obsessed with it and you are too. And that's why I believe we are kindred spirits, but I learned so much from you and I was just like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. And I'm just going to follow you like a little duck. Um, (laughs) But I want to hear more about your experience with it. What was it like for you, you know, in leadership and in ministry? And is there a time that you were ever not confident? What did that look like for you? I, yeah, like about noon today, like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like this is not decades ago in lacking confidence, but uh, the ministry thing is weird for me because I think I knew I was supposed to be in ministry around the time that I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And at, at that place where I was growing up, where, where I was in church, a woman in ministry was not a thing. That was not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never seen one. And so it was just very clear to me that if I wanted to be in ministry, I had to marry into it. Mm, and wow. in my college years, I, I was so grateful. I feel like God protected me from a number of relationships that I would have married someone I shouldn't have had no business marrying because they were in a job field I couldn't get into without being married to them. Like yeah. there was just a attention I felt all the time about, do I just need to marry into the thing I feel like I'm supposed to do, which is bonkers. Like, can you believe that's even a thing? So I ended up in public education and volunteering in ministry and loving it. And it wasn't until my late twenties or thirties that I really went back and began to rethink theologically and dig, um, dig into scripture and go, was this, (laughs) was this right? Was this perspective that I was taught always accurate and 
Um, and I feel like that conversation in so many ways, like I want to feel like that conversation is over, that it's decided for me. And so it's decided for everybody. But yes. a couple of years ago, I was at, uh, I was at high school camp, which is one of, one of my favorite memories was teaching at a camp that was very creatively named high school camp. <laughs> and this youth pastor came up to me after my talk and he said, well, you talked to one of my girls. I found her in the hallway crying. I'll never forget it. Her name is China. And this was only maybe a couple of years ago. And I said, what's going on girl? And she said, I've just never seen a woman preach before. And I didn't know that I could. I just got chill bumps. She cried. I cried. Shout out China. If you're listening, like (laughs) you are always going to be part of my story because I realized in that moment, like this is, this is not a part of our history that's over. And I'm not saying like, if you're from a tradition where women can't preach and be paid for it from the pulpit, like I, I completely understand that. But I think that ideology has permeated every area of leadership. And so there are areas where it's like a woman can't be taken seriously. A woman yes. can't can't have an opinion, even if she's the most educated person in the room, even if she has the most experience in the room, she should be paid less. She should be uh, allowed in certain roles as I remember I kept getting offered our uh, our church secretary role, like the administrative assistant role. Stop. Stop. And I am not by any means above an administrative assistant role. I'm just not good at it. Right. Like this is. This Same. is going to be detrimental to the kingdom if you have yeah. me organizing stuff. This is a terrible plan. But it was so common in a church I was serving for a long time. Like it was so common to go, you know, women answer the phones and they make the appointments and they take care of the budget. And if you're not good at those things, then you're not, you're not good enough at being a woman in church, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that was a hard season. So anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was in public education for a long time and loved every second of it. it. And one of the things um, that was interesting to me is I remember I was, I was talking to some church leaders about whether or not a girl should speak in their student ministry. And they said, what do you think a woman should do to keep the boys attention? And I said, exactly what I do seven times a day in my high school classroom. They're exactly. taught by women all the time. Like teenagers are not the least bit worried about this. It's the yeah. adults that are like, oh, can you? And But it was such a funny thing to go, well, I, don't, I have to keep their attention all day and teach them Spanish. So as I'm hearing you tell the story, I'm like, and I literally wrote down women can teach, but not preach. And I'm like, so, so it's the information that you're scared for a woman to deliver because we think of like, when you think of teacher, I feel like you automatically kind of assume it's probably a woman. I guess, you know, like that's just kind of, it's probably a woman. Okay. Well, you're sending your kids to be taught by women all the time, every day. And so it's like, okay, so what's, it's just that we can, they can talk about anything, but Jesus I'm confused. It's such an interesting thing. And even the, you know, different traditions pick up different words around roles. And so a teacher and a preacher might be that one is a male and one is female or the difference in a director and a pastor when they do the exact same job. 
I mean, the job description is identical, but one is a coordinator or a director and the other, it's just interesting that we develop different words. And, um, and sometimes I find myself being like, is it okay to ask, is there a difference? (laughs) Right. Or are we just using different words to feel okay about it? But it always makes me a little bit nervous when I hear, oh, this person is doing the same job as that person and they have different titles. And I'm like, what? Tell me more. Why? Why yeah. do we have different titles? I don't know. Right. Right. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, when it comes to like leadership, I just think that there are so many incredible gifts that women bring to the table that and I, I don't want this to be like, I don't want people to think I hate men, <laughs> you know, like a hundred percent. Absolutely not. I married one. I obviously like men, you know, like <laughs> we're not, this is not a hating kind of men conversation, but I do think it's incredible to be um, around the table and listen to a female's perspective when it comes to leadership skills, because I think they think of things that not um, every man would, you know, they think well, of the, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're totally fine. I just, I just agree with you. That yeah. Honestly, we need both genders and leadership, right? Yeah. We need different perspectives. We need different ethnicities around every yes. table in leadership. We need different backgrounds. One of the things I've loved so much about um, where I work now is, and and I, I have no idea if this was intentional. I didn't do it. So I feel like I can, I can brag on it if I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but we have men leading our children's ministry department and women leading our youth ministry department which is wow. the opposite of what happens in a lot of contexts. Usually yes. in a lot of contexts, you'll see women leading in the kids ministry and men leading in the youth ministry. I yeah. don't know how that happened, but I love that both audiences get to hear from a different perspective. And when we're in meetings together, we get to hear from each other and hear what it's like to lead a different age group from a different background, having a different life experience. I just think it makes the conversation so much better when everybody's at the table. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And you just get a more well-rounded view of of life, of what's going on in the day-to-day of, you know, our our kids' lives, these students' lives, or just everyone in the church. Like, you just get a more well-rounded view uh, with so much diversity um, around the table. So I'm thinking about, um, gosh, how you even got to where you are today and if there was like a turning point or a moment of impact that led you to really find your confidence and walk in it, was it that moment with China or was it a collection of them? Um, I don't know that there's a moment where I would say I have found confidence. I'm not entirely sure I've found it yet, but what, what I know is true. And one of the things that I thought was funny when you and I started talking about this podcast was I never intended to be a woman in leadership. Like I felt called to ministry as a teenager, but after I developed a career as a teacher and even after moving into a ministry setting, my, my goal was never to be the boss. Like that <laughs> lots of, and lots of people that is their goal. And if you're listening and that is your goal, that's okay. Yeah. That's a hundred percent good. Um, lots of people know that they are wired for leadership. I'm just not one of them. There was nothing in me that woke up saying, I need to follow leaders and become like those leaders. Um, It was more of like, I want to go make cool things with really interesting people and learn from them. But it wasn't, um, it just wasn't my intention to be leading anything. 
And over time, I got to work with really smart people and learn from them. And by association with really smart people, was able to lead some, some things and very quickly realized I had a deep sense of not belonging here. And that has been very much a part of my story of wondering, when are they going to figure out? I mean, people talk about imposter syndrome. Like I am a classic case of when are they going to figure out (laughs) that I should not be in this room? Um, And I think a lot of people feel that whether they're leading publicly or privately or whether they're leading kids and adults, like in every genre of leadership, I think we all kind of feel that do I belong here? And if anybody really knew, would they kick me out? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was telling this story recently. I'll tell it to you too, because you know, the other person involved, there was this moment of just a total insecurity cyclone that I remember. I was on my way to a meeting with what seemed like a very, it seemed like a very important meeting with very important people. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure why I had been invited, but I was like, oh, I need to make sure that I come off like a professional, <laughs> like a competent human being. I was, I was nervous about it. And on the way to the meeting, I got a flat tire. And oh, no. a flat tire is not preventable, not right. your fault. Um, but I couldn't just change the tire or call AAA because I was like driving my weird little electric car. And there was long story short, the kind of tires that I was using, it had to be towed. It was a whole situation, right? So now I'm going to miss the meeting entirely. And mm. I am in an insecurity, just spiral. And I texted my boss who I didn't know that well at the time. Her name's Kristen Ivy. Um, and she's oh, one of the yeah. women I look up to the most. Yeah. And I am like, just squirming at the idea that I have to tell her I'm going to miss this meeting because I got a flat tire and my weirdo car has to be towed. And instead of saying that's okay, or instead of saying, you know, get here when you can, she said, just a minute. And she got in her car and she left the important meeting. She picked up snacks on the way and she came and sat with me in my car and told me about the time where she missed a meeting and talked to me like a human being and and did basically did everything she could to make me feel like I belonged where I was. So she wow. came and sat in the car with me. And I just remember in that moment thinking, I feel so much better thinking of her as a human than yeah. thinking of her as like a superhero, you know? And yeah. she was so helpful. Um, that's one of the things that she's best at is kind of humanizing everything and everyone around her and and treating everybody like they matter and everybody like they're on the same playing field. And I looked up to her so much. And then all of a sudden we were in the same car in my most embarrassing moment. And I was like, I sure hope I get to make somebody else feel the way she has made me feel right now. Um, So that was, I don't know. That was when you said, what's a moment. That is a moment where I went, I don't know. I don't know. That's incredible. Yeah, it was such a such a sweet time. I mean that it's and it's so refreshing to hear the stories that you know humanize people. It's so refreshing to hear um, how human Chris Nivey is and how human you are and the and you know we we look up to people we we see people on a pedestal and we see mm-hmm. and we just see them and we admire them and we just look up to them so much and we're like, will I ever get there? 
And to hear them say, take me off of that pedestal real quick and let me just sit next to you and let me tell you that I am no much no more confident than you are. Is like girl, no. <laughs> it's it's so refreshing though. We don't hear that very often because a lot of time people in leadership feel like they have to project a um uh perfection. You know, they feel like they right. they have to be above it. And it's so much more refreshing to hear, nope, we're all just trying to figure this out. Oh my goodness. Can I tell you the most refreshing thing I have learned? Yes. <laughs> yes. So um the first time I spoke in front of a medium-sized crowd, not a large crowd, a medium-sized crowd, <laughs> I was so nervous that <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this in a very public place. <laughs> I let's call it a digestive disturbance <laughs> for 14 days, 14 days. I was sick. What? And I mean, sick, sick, lost weight. I mean, I looked good because <laughs> no. we had trimmed down in preparation for this event unintentionally. I was so sick. And I have shared that with a number of leaders who get the chance to speak, ones that I admire, ones that have been doing it a long, long time on much, much bigger stages. And over and over, I hear them say, I can't believe that happens to someone else. Can I tell you about the time I got so sick? And it's wow. so funny to go there. No one's a professional at any of this. All <laughs> of us are nervous and sick about the areas where we have to lead and scared um, sometimes <laughs> scared to the point that we can barely walk on stage or barely walk into the boardroom or wherever we are. And it's just so funny to think like, if everybody else in the room is as nervous as me in this moment, what is going on in their heads? Cause they all look so cool. And so yeah. like put together and then you, you get backstage or you get into a hallway and you talk to them and you find out, no, they're, they're a disaster too. <laughs> We're all nervous. <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of times that I was leading, you know, students and I was leading the high school ministry or the student leadership development team. And I would go home and not be able to sleep. Cause I'd be like, did I, what did I say? What did I, yes. what did, what just happened? Did I black out for the lesson that I taught <laughs> or like, was that, did I cross a line? Did I say too, did I share too much about my life? Like, I don't even know what is happening. And I'll just lay awake and be like, did I just scar someone for life? Did I just ruin a kid's life? I don't know. I think we all do that. And I think that's, what's funny is I think confidence is not that going away. Cause I just don't think that goes away. I think confidence is just doing it anyway. And Ooh, continuing yeah. to get up over and over and over, even when you're laying awake at night wondering, did I do that okay? It's getting up and going and doing it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Somebody may call in and be like, listen, Ainsley, no, she's wrong. That feeling does go away. It just hasn't gone away for me yet. <laughs> me either, honestly. I, I mean, me either. Every time I, I'm like, I talk about it all the time. I'm talking about confidence all the time. And the reason I think I talk about it so much is because I'm in a constant renewal of it. I'm constantly yep. trying to renew my confidence every single day. Hey, if you're enjoying Wild Confidence so far, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us. 
And we have some bonus content for you. We have a Patreon that you can join if you head to patreon.com forward slash wild confidence. We have podcast bonuses. You get the episodes early, uh, free downloads, and some Enneagram extras that are just so much fun. And we have such a fun community over there. So I would love for you to join us there and support the podcast so we can stay wild at patreon.com forward slash wild confidence. So thinking about that, like, is there anything that you do, like a tool that might help you with confidence? Um, Oh, girl, let's talk about the list. I need them all. Yes. Um, So first of all, I'm in counseling. Um, I started counseling a few years ago. It has been the best tool. If you have the opportunity to have a counselor, I can't even recommend it enough. I remember like I walking into her office the first time and my biggest question was like, do I don't have any like major life problems in this moment. So do you think I should be here? (laughs) Cause I want to be here, but I don't want you to think I'm like just being a whiny baby. Um, and she laughed at me and was like, no, you (sighs) literally all adult humans and a lot of adolescent humans and maybe some child humans, we all need some therapy from time to time. So that's, that is a big helpful piece of things, but there's a few other things. Um, several years ago, my husband and I were both in a stage where we were experiencing a lot of work-related insecurity. Um, just, we were just in it, you know, both of us were feeling it and we wrote down these four phrases that we were going to say over and over to each other. And they are still like, they're set on a reminder on my computer to pop up every few hours. Um, And the phrases are, God has my back. Mm. I have what it takes. I am the expert and I'm here to help. And the the idea behind them is God has my back in that whatever I'm doing today, it is ultimately his responsibility. My responsibility is to do my best, but I'm not responsible for the result. David was responsible for the stones. He was not responsible for Goliath falling. Yeah. And Peter was responsible for getting out of the boat. He was not responsible for walking on water. And so just kind of keeping that in our minds of like, God has my back. This is his responsibility. Um, He's the one that is ultimately here for the result. In fact, I get very nervous every time I speak anywhere. And one of the things that I have started to say to myself as I walk on stage or, or pray as I walk on stage is your people, not my people. Like these are your people. I mean, they're my people too, because I like them, but like, they're your people. This yeah. talk is your responsibility. Whatever you want to happen, I've got to take that responsibility off myself. So that's the first one. God has my back. The second is um, I have what it takes. And that's not a statement on ability or talent or education or any of that. It's a statement on if God allowed me to be in this moment, he will provide for my needs. Yeah. So he will provide, the Holy Spirit will provide whatever I need to be successful in the way he wants me to be successful in this moment. So those are two things that are true. God has my back and I have what it takes. The third is I'm an expert and I am not always an expert in every meeting I'm in. Um, In fact, I'm in a lot of meetings where I'm the dumbest person in the room. (laughs) So I am not always an expert in a field, but I'm an expert in my own experience. I'm an expert in my life history Um, I'm an expert in the hurts that I have felt and the wins that I've experienced. Um, Nobody in the room has 
the weird combination of being an Enneagram three, four wing from Appalachia in an isolated community married to a Chinese man and used to be a Spanish teacher. Like nobody has that weird combo. And so for that weird combo, I am the expert. And then the last phrase is I'm here to help. I'm not here to impress. I'm not here for approval, whether they like me or they don't. I am here to help and just walking into every room with that mindset of, I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to help you. Um, is really helpful for me because hello, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm always like <laughs> trying to impress <laughs> and failing to impress. So, um, that's it. Those are the, our four phrases. God has my back. I have what it takes. I am the expert and I'm here to help. Um, those pop that. up on pop up just about all the time on, uh, on my screen. And let's see a few things. I, I jotted down a few notes of things that have been helpful because I knew we were going to have this conversation. One was um, comparison is really toxic. It's toxic for everybody. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty potent for me. Um, I'm an only child, so I didn't grow up comparing myself to siblings. So I'm doing all of that now as an adult, <laughs> doing like all the sibling comparison yeah. as an adult. And when people say that comparison is toxic, we talk about it like, like it's skittles like it's bad for me but like i'm gonna have a few like we talk <laughs> about it like it's not that big a like deal. it's skittles for me comparison is not skittles it's heroin and like yeah. i've got to keep that in my mind like this is this thing that you play with like comparing yourself to i mean everybody right the next door neighbor the co-worker the girl in the small group like all of that, I can't play with that because it's like heroin. You get hooked and it's going to kill you. This is not like eating a bag of Skittles. So that's one of the things I've started to say to myself is like, this is not Skittles you're playing with. Um, um, just to remind myself that it's like not healthy, but probably the most helpful thing for me, truly like as I try to gain confidence, because I am not there yet. The most helpful thing for me is the women that I walk with. Mm. Like, girl, there is this group of girls. And, and to be honest, you are one of them. You are a woman who cheers for women. You are a woman who builds up and doesn't tear down. And I want more friends like you in my life. Ashley Bohens has oh, been incredible. Just, oh, an incredible leader, a cheerleader, an amazing friend. Um, she's the kind of person who will push you into the spotlight and not pull you back from it. Yeah. Even when you're not ready. And she has done that to me a few times and I'm like, don't push. And she's like, no, no, <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Um, Kristen Ivy is one of those. Sarah Anderson is one of those. Sarah mm -hmm. Farley, uh, who works at the International Mission Board, is one of my best friends and has just always been the kind of girl who cheers for and doesn't compete. And in my 30s, I appreciate that so much. I think yeah. in my in my teen and college years. I surrounded myself with some amazing women and also some who were there to compete and compare and tear down. And I didn't yeah. know, or I didn't believe that it was okay to not be friends with them. Yeah. So I was just friends with them because I was supposed to be friends with them. Turns out you can be nice to people and not be friends with them. Yeah. So in my thirties, I am looking for more Ainsley's and Sarah's and Ashley's and less of that group that is there to to make you feel gnarly about yourself because women like that they man they are it they make it better i literally just wrote something that was like you you have permission to be friends with people who are just nice to you 
You don't have to be friends with people who are mean to you. You can just have friends that are nice to you if you want. (laughs) What is that in us that believes we have to be friends with people who are not nice to us? I don't know. It's like we have to be friends with anyone who wants to be our friend. Yes. No, we don't have to do that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, well, maybe you and I, I mean, I'm a two, you're a three as far as the Enneagram goes. Maybe it's the heart triad or something. I don't know. But I have have an Enneagram eight friend that has the same viewpoint. Like, you know, just now is trying to separate herself from the toxic friendships and the the unhealthy friendships around her. So I I don't know what it is, but there's, I mean, this is one of the weird tensions that we wrestle with when we're trying to, to create things to talk to teenagers is sometimes when we teach the greatest commandment, love, love your neighbors yourself, right? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbors yourself. We get, we spend so much time on the love your neighbors yourself because it's hard that we aren't saying, Hey, you've got to honor the image of God in you too. Loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean letting your neighbor abuse you. That those are yes. not the same thing. Yes. And I think because we haven't said it outright, everybody's just kind of nodding along and like, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. I guess that means I can't break up with them. Right. I'm going to love my boyfriend neighbor as myself. And I'm like, Oh no, I want to make sure that you know that loving yourself is part of the equation too, that the image of God is in you and you got to treat yourself with dignity and honor because you're a person who deserves dignity and honor. So, And I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that we don't usually love ourselves well. Mm -hmm. So we welcome in relationships of people who don't love us well because we're loving our neighbor as ourselves and that's not well. Right. So maybe the more we learn to love ourselves healthy, we're not going to stand for someone else who doesn't love us in a healthy way. Maybe, I don't know. It's so true. I mean, the girl who pretends to be nice to you, but is also like kind of sarcastic and mean is still nicer than the voice in the, in my head. Yeah. Like she's yeah. still nicer. So in my head, I'm like, no, it's fine. Like yeah. she's still nicer than the voice in my head. Exactly. If I could get the voice in my head to be a little nicer to me, I might expect a little more from her. Right. Exactly. So there's, that's the lesson of the day. My gosh, actually love yourself to be able to this love your like neighbor as yourself. <laughs> why, why don't we do this once a week? No kidding. I'm so glad this is recorded so I can go back and listen and teach myself the lesson over and over and over. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, yeah, I'm thinking about that voice in your head and the voice in my head and they're, they're mean to us and they put us in this like low place of fear and insecurity. So how do we pull ourselves out of it? Oh, that is so hard. For me, it has been a lot of trying to remind myself what's God's responsibility and what's my responsibility. Yeah, that's good. Because the voice in my head is really good at being mean to me when I'm not perfect and when I'm not achieving everything I want to achieve. Yeah. And sometimes reminding myself like, well, that was never mine to achieve. That was always God's to achieve. Mine was to do the best I can. And am I doing, am I doing the best I can? Yes, I am. Okay. We're going to be a little bit nicer to me. Um, yeah. That's so good. I was, trying, I was trying to think there was something else that came to mind around the idea of perfection. Um, I don't know. I'm still working through this as an adult. So this is probably not a thing to speak publicly about, but 
I'm still trying to figure out how to undo the belief that perfection and safety are linked like that. Mm -hmm. Somehow those two came together for me as a kid. And I think it does for a lot of people that if you can just be good and well-behaved and good enough that you're going to be safe and you're going to be loved. And so if I have a moment that's not perfect as an adult, I find myself feeling not safe as an adult. And I'm like, well, and so I start reacting as if I am in danger when yeah. nobody around me is concerned that I wasn't perfect. They are not paying, they're paying attention to their own insecurity. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. For me, it just spirals out. And so um, just unlinking that idea, which is so crazy because that's literally the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> is unlinking the idea of we have to be perfect to be yeah. safe. Like that's, that's the point of the whole thing we teach. And I am still <laughs> working on learning it myself. And you're not alone in that. I can confidently say that because I'm right there with you. It's like, it's just this, we put this unattainable thing over ourselves and Jesus is constantly like, yeah, that's what, that's why I came. Yeah. No, no, yeah, yes. no, 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 no. That's why I came. No, no, no. That's why I died for you. No, no, no. Stop that. <laughs> you know? Yes. That's why I died for you. Uh, that's why I tortured. I was tortured and put on a cross for you. And you're just like, yes. oh, but why can't I just like get it through my head? It's such a know. funny thing. A few years ago, I was at a, a student camp as a volunteer. So my girls and I were, were at this youth camp and they did leader training every morning. And this leader I uh, stood up and did a devotional and I couldn't tell you what most of it was about, but I can tell you, he talked about how Paul ended every letter with grace and peace, grace mm -hmm. and peace, grace and peace, and how that wasn't always the most common greeting. Sometimes people use that as, as like the end of a letter, but that Paul had intentionality in everything he wrote. And he knew that when the, when the early believers were facing moments of danger, that the two things they would need to remember were grace and peace. And he made this statement, uh, David Brady, by the way, here's your credit. You made this statement and I've <laughs> borrowed it, stole it and used it, used it for a while now that um, we trust grace to, to cover our imperfection when it comes to our sin. But we need to understand that grace covers our imperfection in our profession too. It covers our imperfection as a parent. It covers our imperfect, like there is grace for you to not be perfect, yeah. even if it's not imperfection that is traditional or you know what we would classify as sin there yeah. is grace for you to be imperfect that you can still be loved by God even if you are imperfect in areas that are not typically talked about in an altar call yeah and I was That's I've good. walked around with that for so long like oh yeah yeah that is the point of grace is that I don't have to be perfect and when I understand that the point of grace is that I don't have to be perfect then peace shows up <laughs> Right. Grace and peace go together in that way. Right. When we can experience that grace, we get that peace as it's like a gift. Right. Wow. I love that. That's so good. Look at David Brady. Look at him go. Look at David look Brady. At, look at you remembering it and sharing it with us. <laughs> so I, I want to know what you would tell your younger self when it comes to confidence. Like, what would you tell younger Crystal about oh, confidence? Goodness, I would go sit down with her and be like, you need to quit trying so hard. 
<laughs> to be perfect. Because the longer you can convince yourself you're perfect, the more miserable you're going to be trying to keep it up. So that's a, a real early conversation, um, which an older mentor actually said that to me in my early 20s, like sat me down and was like, look, you are miserable trying mm. to stay perfect. And if you could just relax and be fine with the fact that you're a human being, <laughs> you would be a much happier individual. So uh, relaxing in my imperfection is a big one. Um, I would probably go back and tell myself to not be friends with people that make me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Even though they probably didn't intend to, it's not that they're bad people sure. or they're bad influences, like none of that, but just, sure. I just don't need to hang around. If I can't stop comparing myself to somebody to the point that I am becoming toxic to myself, I maybe need to take a break from that person yeah. until I get myself together um, and surround myself with people that are, are cheerleaders and builder uppers and lifter uppers, as opposed to being around people that are, are maybe not quite that, or I don't feel like they're that. So I think that's what I would say to myself. Um, and I wish I could go back and say like, Hey, comparison is heroin. May, maybe earlier. Like comparison is not child's play. It's really dangerous for you. Um, you're avoiding yeah. some things because they're dangerous. Um, some things we all know that are dangerous for your physical health, but you need to avoid comparison because it's dangerous for your mental health. I yeah. probably would go back and say that too. Um, and then maybe stop considering the job as the administrative assistant. You're not good at it. And you're not a bad Christian <laughs> for not wanting to do it. <laughs> uh, and stop dating booboo dudes. <laughs> oh, girl, 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 yes. Stop dating booboo dudes. <laughs> that is Don't so date funny. A boy who talks down to you. We should have had that conversation early on. For real, though. Not date a boy that talks down to you. <laughs> Golly, you're so right. And you know, I always ask, like, I always, I usually ask people, you know, what would you, it, what advice would you give to someone else? And then what advice would you give to yourself? And it's always the advice that we give to ourselves that is like 10 times more applicable because it's so real and raw and like, no, this is yes. real. <laughs> this is the, this is the T. Um, yes. So I, did, I just love everything you said, because I feel like I know someone is listening to this and they're saying, oh, me too. Oh, me too. Oh, I need to hear that. Oh, me too. Like, I, I just know that's happening. And for their version of thank you, I, I would ask that they, whoever's listening, whoever feels the me too, that they pray for you and that they uh, can do that to be a, um, an encouragement to you. And just on a day that you feel discouraged that this prayer will be, will lift you up. So what can they pray? How can we pray for you as a community? Oh, I mean, I could cry hearing that. Like what a nice way to say thank you to anybody. I, I'm for sure stealing that. By the way. <laughs> for sure. Go for it. Go um, for it. I would love it if this tribe would pray for me. Confidence is always something I could use. I don't have nearly enough, um, the confidence to believe the things I say would be really, really helpful because I can talk a good game about grace and peace, but experiencing it uh, is really, really difficult. And so um, everybody can can probably feel that a little bit. So 
that's one thing they can pray for uh, candidly and personally, because I know a lot of girls who are listening to this will go through this or have gone through this. Yeah. Girl, we've been trying to have kids for so long. Mm. So they can pray for that too. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever to happen, we're at this stage where we're going, okay, we probably need to, um, we haven't done the explore other options and that didn't work. So we are at the stage where we're figuring out what our next steps look like. And are we trusting God that we're going to be okay to not be parents or to be adoptive parents or to be foster parents or to parent in different ways. Um, so all the prayers for, for that too, that would mean a ton. Absolutely. That is a hundred percent, not a lonely struggle. And, um, (laughs) turns out lots of people, lots of people, lots of people like, as okay, so as we're recording this ahead of time, so I don't know what the situation will be when this comes out, but we are also experiencing that same thing. So I'm like, one hundred percent, you're not alone in that. Like one thousand percent, and it's crazy. It's like it's like well, this that's just a whole other podcast on how annoyed the church made. I got annoyed with the church because I'm like, y'all made me so scared to get pregnant, and y'all didn't tell me that it wasn't always that easy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. they told me if I looked like looked at a boy and didn't wear a one piece suit, I was going to get pregnant. And now yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been, we've been trying. Are you kidding me? This is. <laughs> if I had known how difficult it would be. Yes. <laughs> it probably would have been unhealthy for me early on in life. So <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Nobody talks about how many people struggle to have kids and all the different avenues and all the quirks that come with all those avenues. And there's no, like, there's no pain-free version of this, whether you get pregnant the very first time, or you go through all sorts of medical things, or you adopt, or you foster Like there's no uncomplicated version of motherhood. And I'm like, (laughs) somebody talk about that, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Golly. We needed us to do another podcast episode, apparently. <laughs> yep. Yep. One of our next podcasts will be like, let me tell you about fertility drugs. I will tell Seriously. you. Seriously. <laughs> what go, going through all the things. Well, oh my gosh. I'm just, we were definitely pray for that. And I'll accept those prayers too while, while we're talking about it. And um, where can we connect with you online? Where can we keep up with you? Um, almost everything is at Crystal C. Chang. So Instagram and listen, my last name has an I in the middle. So just like be advised. It's C-H-I-A-N-G um, on all the, all the social places and crystalcchang.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Crystal. You are literally the best, like a hundred percent. You're incredible. I love being friends. This is so good. <laughs> this was a great excuse to hang out together. I hope that we hang out again soon. Uh, me too. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out today. I pray that you're able to see yourself how the Lord sees you so you can hold your head a little higher and shine your confidence a little brighter. I would so appreciate if you would leave a review, subscribe, and share this with a friend. And of course, I want to stay connected with you. Find me on Instagram at Ainsley B. And my website is AinsleyBritton.com. See y'all later.